Hello everyone and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is October 13, 2016. My regular guests join me, Dr. Nancy Snow and Michael Chuchak. Thank you very much. We're also pleased to welcome Dr. Toshio Nagahisa. Dr. Nagahisa is the executive director of the PHP Institute and he received his PhD at UCLA. Welcome. Very nice to join you, thank you very much. Thank you. Today we're gonna to talk about productivity in Japan, how Japan is going to deal with this really emerging problem they have about a declining population and the need to have workers in the workforce to support an expanding need for social services, for uh, childcare, and also for declining health of elderly Japanese. Let's start with Dr. Nagahisa in how the Japanese government is attempting to deal with productivity and perhaps getting more, more out of the resources that they have already in place. Our Japanese government started the uh, uh, argument at the uh, deliberation council from September, this September. And now they are talking about the, uh, how to uh, change the uh, uh, working condition for Japanese people. Mm -hmm. Then uh, there are two points of view, I think. Uh, first one is that uh, how to uh, increase the product productivity of, of our economy by changing the uh, uh, working style. And the second point is that uh, how to make the uh, people happier mm. by the uh, reform. <laughs> right. So I think there are two points in the discussion. Okay. Some of that can be done through technology. Others can be done by spreading the work out, maybe letting people work from home. Sure, that's right. right? Yeah. The first one is that uh, in an enterprise, many enterprises, there are uh, many people, many laborers who do not actually work. But uh, some people are really hard, hardly, uh, really uh, work so hard. Right, put in a lot of hours. Yeah, right, exactly. Long time work. Mm -hmm. But in other part of the industry, the people are short, uh, I mean, the labor is short. So people, th these companies need more labor. But here, there are, not, there are people who do not, well, it's hard to say, not. Uh, important, I mean, I mean, they need to change, or they cannot perform their uh, capability very well. Mm -hmm. So I think the government now have to do now is that uh, they have to transfer the labor labors to these sectors, for example. Mm -hmm. So in other words, right person or right people in the right place. So we have to do that, that kind of thing in the entire society, not right. in the one enterprise. Mm -hmm. So this is a one point, I think. Right. Well, it's kind of hard to have the government guide industry in that way. Sometimes the government is, is rather unskillful in imparting mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. to uh, Japanese business. Right. Michael, do you have a view on that? Well, I think that the fundamental issue has always been the misuse of human resources in Japan. Mm -hmm. That indeed we have a no mechanism that takes people out of jobs where they're doing very little and being paid a regular salary for it. And effectively moving them mm -hmm. to some place where their skills, their knowledge can be used by another company. We have these divisions between companies that, and this idea of a permanent right. position within that company that lasts until retirement that makes it impossible for, to use Japan's labor force in a very effective way, allowing the flow from mm -hmm. places where it's being wasted to where it can be used. That the government is trying to handle and trying to get some kind of idea, but 
whenever they do that, what happens is, is they run up against the interests of labor unions and the interests of the individual worker, which is they like to have a guaranteed position. They don't want to have companies to have the ability to fire and hire people mm -hmm. automatically. They like the things the way they are. Now, that's a small fraction of the total workforce. Only about 25% of Japanese uh, workers can, and their families can be put in this salary man category. Right. The other 75% are outside of it. And we have this disproportionality right. where we have part-time workers or per persons who are not a part of the management career track. And they're not protected by these laws, but this little slice really likes these laws a lot and they have a tremendous say. Right. I was once part of this little slice. I worked for the U.S. federal government, the largest labor union in the United States. And when I got hired into this prestigious fast track at the U.S. Information Agency, I was told that I would be able to keep that job for the rest of my life. So when I was asking people at the agency, what is our mission? What am I here for? They were sort of saying, why do you worry your head about that? Because you're vested. You're in now. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep showing up. And I think that there is an analogy here that Michael is describing. It didn't appeal to me because I wanted some more action and so much of the work we were doing was subcontracted. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even get to see the grantees and the Fulbright program. But when you are accepted into that, special category. It's very hard to give that up. But what he's describing is three out of four do not have that sure. sense of security. Mm -hmm. And I think the government needs to explain as part of this hundred million That's sort right. of Engagement shiny, of the, happy right. people policy that we're all working together for a greater good. So productivity has to become more personalized. What am I going to get out of this uh, rather than the feeling of those three out of four that, hey, how come he has it great and I don't? Right. There's a sense of kind of an in-group versus out-group within some of these companies mm -hmm. and within the Japanese society. Right. This has kind of become uh, cemented in culture, too, in the J Japanese business culture. Well, what is culture? Right. <laughs> this is the question. I think the culture is sort of a, a result of rational actions in mm -hmm. the previous period, for example. Right. And let's say like a 20 or 30 years ago, uh, we are, we have in, uh, we are in uh, a massive production and massive uh, consumption. Right. Then people started their work uh, at the very early morning, for example, and up until the, uh, say, uh, evening, six o'clock. And if they produce uh, a lot, the more they produce, the more they can sell. Mm -hmm. the, we had a kind of situation. That's why our value, for example, the uh, diligent means work longer. Mm -hmm. We still keep it. Maybe this is a culture. Yeah. Although we have a, uh, in a different conditions. So people now, I'm now with the workers in the, uh, any enterprises, probably uh, being longer in the office means you are diligent. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you are supposed to be diligent, so you stay longer in the office. Mm -hmm. But it's inefficient. Well, that's kind of how it's always been. Not always. I mean, since the bubble era, since, ah, no, exactly. right? Mm -hmm. That even for professors, you know, the um, associate professors wouldn't leave until the professor left, and the graduate students wouldn't leave until the associate professor left, and the same thing was transferred into. Companies as well, you wouldn't leave until the bucho left. And if the bucho is a, a, a real workaholic, you're going to be working hard too. 
Right. And uh, I think younger people now think that, uh, wow, we, ha- we have uh, this voice. That's why we cannot get uh, uh, promote, promoted. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, many complaints. Right. And uh, senior people also feel that, uh, well, I have, uh, so secu- uh, I'm so secured, but uh, no chance to work. I mean, there's right. no job there. <clears throat> so, no uh, yeah, it's not happy uh, for both of them, mm-hmm. uh, not happy. So right. therefore, we, we have to change this system right. or culture. Mm-hmm. So we have to change the mindset. Is But, there a generational difference in the sense that young people whom I like know with? Like millennials, right? Right. The millennials may not want to be staying so long. They don't want to be like that. A lot of the that. young women I talk to are thinking about the pressure that they're under mm-hmm. to marry by a certain age mm-hmm. and to start a family and then to try to balance that with going back into the workplace or maybe doing a part-time job once their children are in school, I don't think they want that model of the salary man mm-hmm. so much. So with all these women's conferences going on now in Japan, they've really got to address that because they tend to exalt these super women achievers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the women in the audience, I don't think, can identify with that. When we bring up this idea of, of young women and trying to fit them in, I think it's appropriate to discuss the Densu case, don't you right. think? Uh, right. Which, which was just uh, adjudicated by the Amida Board of Labor. Uh, to want... fall into the category of, yes, death by overwork. Well, in this Kuroshi. case, yeah, where a young woman uh, took her own life and she was a new employee of Densu. And she was, first of all, Not encouraged, basically in, coerced Ordered, into right. into overworking herself. She lived in the company dormitories, so she had no outside life mm-hmm. and no outside contacts in order to make some kind of decision based on, you know, on reality on work life balance. And her life went out of balance. Right. And so, you know, I think it's appropriate that we discuss that kind of aspect of karoshi. Well, that's not a unique situation. I mean, for a new employee to go into a, a huge company like Dentsu, mm-hmm. 8,000 employees, to live in a dormitory is somewhat standard. Right, it's right? Well, it's not a, a real case. I mean, the, uh, and the people, I mean, the uh, seniors teach how to work in the company. That is a usual uh, procedure. Right. So, but uh, it's it's also true that uh, uh, when, uh, newcomers feel well scared. Sure. So uh, they don't know how to work. So and they feel uh, some strong pressure mm-hmm. from uh, the people uh, uh, surrounding her, uh, she or her, uh, him or her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. In this case. Uh, Who has a responsibility? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe she has a responsibility. Also, the company has a responsibility. I don't know、uh, what we have to do. But the、uh, question is that、uh, we do not have, I mean, the Japanese company do not have the uh, uh, contracts with the、uh, workers. So we have just a membership、right. in the enterprise so that we do not know what should do.、Uh, what Uh, how they have to work. I mean,、What、there's no, yeah, there no job, job description、right. in Japan. So, this is the problem、mm-hmm. in the bottom of this case. Right. Well, also, the universities don't quite prepare people to enter into the workforce either. I mean, their first three years in a company, they're really getting trained by their senpai, by the people who are two or three or maybe five years longer in the company 
to do the work and this is how you're supposed to act, this is how you're supposed to dress, this is how you're supposed to, you know, present yourself. That's true. Because yeah. people really don't know. But you have to say that the corporate culture, at least as it's been inherited, there are aspects of it that were drawn from the fact that so many of the corporate warriors were indeed warriors, that there right. are habits that were ingrained into the Japanese people during the, the, the time of military dictatorship mm -hmm. from up until 1945. And when all these persons who were trained came back into the workforce and they became managers, they took habits and ideas and thoughts about how to toughen up people, how mm -hmm. to make them uh, work together as teams, how to work them work hard, that are directly drawn from military training. Right. And that is not necessarily the best way to motivate people, we now know, but at that time it was made sense. But it's been just, it's a legacy that's just been passed on generation to mm -hmm. generation inside the companies. Well, isn't, isn't, um, well, isn't Densu really notorious in that area about really beating down employees and training them and really being regimented about how they treat their employees and bringing them up to speed. Well, it, it's certainly true that Densa does not have what is most important, which is competition. Mm -hmm. If there was another major, I mean, yes, there's Hakuhodo, but right. Hakuhodo and Densa are not no, comparable in terms of size. They're not, and and once you get past Hakuhodo, the, the, the other parts of the advertising uh, promotion business are really tiny. Dense so, is the largest PR firm in the world. It's, 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 it's so dominant that its habits don't have to change. They don't have mm -hmm. to care. If they had competitors, they would have to change. Mm -hmm. You know, I met with two young women this week. I won't say, they graduated from one of the top universities in Tokyo. And one is has been hired by Dentsu and another by Mitsubishi. And the first thing in our conversation that they started out with was work-life balance. They were very that? excited about having been chosen, this entering class. This was like graduate school in the workplace for them. But they were also pointing out all of these sort of hierarchical procedures mm -hmm. that they have to learn about uh, entering and exiting the elevator, where to sit around the table, How not to, to speak because mm -hmm. you're at the lowest level, how to bow exactly, mm -hmm. how to exchange your business cards. And I thought, wow, <laughs> no wonder there's a lot of stress beneath the surface. And going back to the woman who committed suicide, we didn't really know about this until this was brought to light and made an issue of Karoshi. So this mm -hmm. happened December 25th, 2015. Nobody knew that at the time. And uh, you wonder uh, how prevalent it may be. Is this recorded uh, as part of government statistics? But also, did she have anyone to talk to? Because it sounds like she was very cloistered. Right. At the same time, I agree with you, there's a personal responsibility mm -hmm. and institutional need to address mm -hmm. uh, the, the need for change there. Um, I hope that Densu will learn from this because without that competition, uh, doing things as they've always done, that creates inertia. And that's what Japan's trying to get away from. Right. And I'm using my hands again. <laughs> <laughs> but Michael, perhaps the, doc the doctor yeah. would be able to make some comment about what the Abe administration is lo looking at doing. Mm -hmm. well, yes, and it's also ironic that this was a young female employee mm -hmm. when we're trying to engage the, the women in the workforce and encouraging them to be more participant. 
Yeah, the government is now trying to make a condition that uh, women can work more easily. I mean, they, are, they want to make a mobility of the uh, women's uh, uh, work conditions. I mean, uh, if you, uh, you, once you enter some enterprise, and if you have a married, probably you, uh, she can uh, reduce the working hour. Mm -hmm. Then if uh, she got uh, some pregnant, then well, shortly she uh, retire from the uh, work, but then come back soon mm. if if she likes. Mm -hmm. So they they uh, the government tried to make us this kind of situation. Uh, oh, of course we have now already, but more easily uh, the uh, uh, we, uh, well they, uh, they want to make a, a such a situation more well better situation for them. I mean for women. Family mm -hmm. friendly. Family, yeah. So, mm -hmm. but it, will this be through regulation, through tax relief? What, what, what are the well, what are regulation the and also a taxation? Yeah, they want to change that kind of. Uh, they want to make such kind of reforms. Mm -hmm. Tax too. Yeah, tax system too. Well, in this case, do you mean? Well, they've abandoned officially this week. They abandoned the attempt to reform the tax system. Allowing for the, for the haigushat konjo, the, mm -hmm. the having to do with the 1.3 million yen limit for married women who want to work part time, mm -hmm. they get a special particular deal tax wise that allows them to be on their husband's pension and health care plans, where where they're only working up to 1.3 million yen per year, mm -hmm. and that was was supposed to be a big reform. This was going right. to be abandoned. We're going to have equality finally. because that was kind of a dis actually a disincentive. It's an extreme disincentive right. uh, for women returning to the workforce in full-time positions. Right. And that's going to affect productivity because women's voices will be smaller. Mm -hmm. You don't listen to a part-timer. You don't ask a part-timer right. what she thinks. Mm -hmm. You know, permanent employees make the decisions, part-timers obey. Well, I think people who come to Japan and observe how people actually work are always impressed by the real work ethic that's practiced within Japanese companies. And we all live here, we operate in, in Japan, and we also are kind of forced to live under that standard as well. We work hard, we work long hours. Now and, wait a minute. <clears throat> okay, well Dr. Snow, <laughs> you, you lead a leisurely life traveling throughout Japan and teaching budding young minds. No, I agree with you that the work ethic culture is very impressive. I think the worrisome part is that my first visit to Japan, I remember reading a book called the Straight Jacket Society mm -hmm. about a former government, pretty high level fellow. Society. You've never heard right. of this book. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. But there's, there's, there's a work ethic and there's also a sense of, I have to do this. Uh, I can't step outside the box. I can't paint outside the, mm -hmm. the lines here. So this is why with this sort of flexi work schedule or family friendly work schedule, you have to have the top companies adhering to that mm -hmm. and getting a big bonus from it. Don't you agree? Yes. Well, I think the uh, people living in Japan have the experience that go to a good school and go to the uh, good companies after that, whatever you, you want to do. So no idea how to work. Right. So simply you're belonging to some big, safe enterprise, the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Then the situation, when the situation is changing, they cannot adopt that kind of change of the situation. Mm -hmm. So this is the biggest problem for Japanese workers. Isn't Dentsu one of the top ranked targets for Japanese graduates? 
Oh, you know, enterprises, you mean? Yes, yeah, so to, to join. To, to join, to, to, to then to the one of them. Yes, yes <laughs> right. one of them. Yeah. But the thing is that there is also the fundamental issue that Japan's population is shrinking. Sure. So it needs to get more out of the workers it has. Right. Otherwise, the only other alternative is immigration, and we know that's not on the table.、Mm-hmm. So, how do you use Japan's workforce more effectively? Yes, it's wonderful the level of service that now exists. It's wonderful the level of dedication, but there's no way that that can be maintained. The workforce is shrinking. We it has had a temporary、uh, breaking effect by. Bringing in so many women, more than a million women have joined the workforce since Mr. Abe became prime minister, and that has had some ameliorating effect on the, what is otherwise a declining workforce.、Mm-hmm. And Japan needs to keep functioning, and there are not enough workers. So e- either you work more. Or you work smarter, right?、Mm. And、exactly. working more、yeah. is not on the table.、Right. So how do you work smarter, right? I think in some sectors,、mm. agriculture immigration is on the table, at least part-time or temporary migrant、mm-hmm. workers. So it's not that it's totally off the table.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, work-life balance and enhanced productivity is providing a challenge to the Japanese government. They're focusing on that now. We're going to continue to watch that and report to you as it unfolds. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. You know, living in Japan always presents challenges and interesting episodes on how you integrate yourself into this wonderful country of yours. Thank you very much for having us as guests. <laughs> Two incidents have happened recently that bring into the forefront what it's like to be a foreigner visiting Japan or living in Japan. The first one has been called wasabi terrorism, and the second one is there are so many foreigners in here. What the hell's going on? Michael, you're following this one too. Did it? Offend your sensibilities? I was not offended at all, but there are people who who spend their lives being offended. It's、and、like clickbait, isn't it? It really is. It、right. really does attract a lot of views and a lot of commentary, especially from people in countries who don't like Japan. Right.、Uh, mm-hmm. And in this case, the incidents were,、uh, in both cases, junior members of staff made decisions、uh, without checking with the, the their、uh, their superiors. Trying to deal with a situation and didn't exactly do the diplomatic thing. Right, and I'm, I'm wondering if this story is only popular in the English language press and the Japanese press is not covering.、It. Are you familiar with what we're talking about, Dr. Nagisa? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 he's it's, operating at a much higher level. No, of, of course, but it's it's kind of hit the web and <laughs> people are talking about an overuse of wasabi. An overuse of wasabi in Osaka. Yeah. So both and, of these are Osaka stories. Right. They're and, both Osaka stories. And in fact, in、uh, the reporting on NHK was that now Korean travel agencies and the Korean,、uh, not the embassy here in Tokyo, but the、uh, consulate in. Uh, in Osaka, is warning Korean visitors that th- that Japan ha- there are some tensions. There's a wasabi 38th parallel discussion. <laughs> yes, but in this case, a a restaurant、uh, which serves sushi、mm-hmm. and sushi normally for adults has、uh, a spice called wasabi in it. And I mean, I, I mean, we don't know who's watching this, so I'm going to be as simplistic as possible. And this grated horseradish is very spicy.、Uh, and previously, foreigners—we assume probably amongst them Koreans—、uh, 
uh, asked for more wasabi than normal because they liked the, the sting. Right. Uh, and in this case, a Korean family was visiting and went to there, and the staff put extra wasabi in, and they were appalled, and they said it was unpalatable. They complained, and it became... It seemingly, it seems to have been become a social media phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Well, it was something of a practice because they had several photos of a big smear of wasabi. Uh, apparently, the, the chefs were letting them take the picture. You wanted more wasabi. Apparently, somebody came in looking just like you, Koreans, and we served them and they were fine. So what's your complaint? Right? And, 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 but the, the other issue, okay, then that, that brings up the other, and which is a little bit more disturbing, uh, Nankai train incident where a train that is heading toward the airport and therefore because it's it's a, a train that feeds into the airport there are going to be a lot of travelers on it mm-hmm. and re- and it, it makes sense to to travel by train rather than by bus or by car here in Japan so that even here in Tokyo the the trains that head toward Narita uh, they're, they've put on many, 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 many express trains and, and new express lines all the time right. to, f- to take in this volume of people who have ostensibly bigger and bigger bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, there was crowding on this train. Well, Japan is actually enjoying a boom in the number of visitors coming from all over Southeast Asia and the rest of the world, too. And that boom had, in this case, led to a crowded train. Some passengers saying, there are too many damn foreigners. And... There must be something in the manual saying, whenever there's a complaint, make a public announcement that we're handling the complaint. Right. And the train conductor said, <laughs> I mean, do, 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 I can see doctor laughing over there. What did the train conductor, you, you, you've, you've read the article in both English and Japanese. What did the train conductor tell us? Oh, well, yeah, I read it just now. And I feel that uh, I had that same feeling in, uh, when I traveled in Kyoto, for example. I often go to Kyoto mm-hmm. and I'm for business, just business. And uh, when I uh, get out, when after just uh, getting off the uh, train, Shinkansen, then I'm, I cannot go walk straight. Mm-hmm. No, so, so, so many foreigners, yes. travelers, tourists. I so, say the same thing. When I get off the train in Kyoto, yeah. I'm exactly it's feeling a, the same. It's really hard to take a hotel. Mm-hmm. No, it's hard to make a reservation in a Kyoto. Yeah. Tribe. Right. So, well, it's okay. Well, for our economic promotion, we try to open the country for many other countries, right? So, but, uh, well, we have a very good influence for the economic influence. Well, it's good, but, but, in their life, but it's a really sort of a, a problem I ha- we have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Japan wants to yeah. double, double the number by 2020 to mm-hmm. over 40 million. It doesn't have the carrying capacity because we were talking about the conductor announcing that they were on their way to Kansai International Airport, Osaka. So the, the foreigners who come here really congregate mm-hmm. in Kyoto, Tokyo, Osaka. They're not going out into the hinterland of Japan. And this is only going to get worse. I couldn't even get a hotel for my university in Kyoto this <laughs> mm-hmm. week because it's high season right. for the foreign tourists. And yes, they welcome it, but be careful what you ask for because right. you're going to have this pushback in incidents like this. And it was really mm-hmm. unfortunate. There is that clickbait mm-hmm. aspect to it right. because Japan is so 
admired around the world, but there's also this love of kind of the weird and wacky stories coming out of Japan. Mm -hmm. So we're always going to have that along with the beautiful travel stories. Mm -hmm. Well, the story seems to be what the conductor said over the loudspeaker. And I think the real subtext here is the other passenger who said in exactly. a very loud voice so that everybody could hear how displeased he was with all these foreigners around. And so there, there probably is a point beyond which people, normal, polite people will say, you know, I've had enough. This is, you know, you're, you're invading my space and you're buying all, all the things from the store and you've got all these packages and you're going back to China. So I think the remark was actually with regard to Chinese who are suffering from a, a little bit of a, a bad reputation here But, in you know, Tim, the report came to light because a Japanese passenger uh, went to the station to report it and said, I, I'm not sure how you might handle this. Mm -hmm. So there was concern on her part that maybe that was not the appropriate thing to right. say. The so it's interesting on both ends. Yeah, and the message that the, the conductor said was, I mean, the differentiation was there. There are lots of foreigners, and this is causing crowding in the train. For you passengers who are of Japanese descent, I apologize for the situation. Right. I mean, that is going to cause trouble internationally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and it's and you're and it's true. The 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 the, the, two, the government has two problems here. One is that it really does need to encourage tourism. Tourism has been, always been underplayed as a source of growth and a source of economic vitality. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's a carrying capacity issue. And right, right now, in Kyoto, in Tokyo, we're reaching our limits. Okay. In and unless, one, tourism can be moved into the hinterlands where there's available infrastructure to handle it, or unless there's an, a massive in uh, a massive increase, and we're seeing how hard that is in the case of the Tokyo Olympics. Mm. Uh, right. Getting things on billboard for that right. has been disastrous. And, of course, special interests here. Airbnb is trying to bring an international standard of having minpaku, having private homes as places to stay. And all kinds of parts right. of the government and all kinds of political actors here in Japan are fighting against it on all fronts. Mm -hmm. And so it's not going to be able to operate the way it does in most countries. Isn't this where the third arrow comes in? The untouched third arrow, we're going to relax regulations so this, this kind of growth can happen spontaneously. But they're not relaxing yes. regulations, are they, doctor? Well, I don't know exactly. But they are trying to relaxing. I mean, the, uh, they change the regulation of the of hoteling or that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. so. You know, you mentioned Airbnb just last week. I have all these personal accounts, but one of my Chinese graduate student friends from Tsinghua, he was visiting Kyoto and he rented a very formal uh, kimono for the day. He was using Airbnb and it was a lovely experience, but he said that there is this cross-cultural dimension to working with the landlord because he had to spend a lot of time going through the contract. The biggest part of it was how to separate the trash. Oh, yes. And it was so fascinating to him. Oh. It actually turned into a very positive experience because he said, I'm learning so much. I'm getting this deep immersion into Japanese culture mm -hmm. through this experience. And I think there's a there's a wonderful opportunity. He, he said it would be a great study. I mm -hmm. thought so too, to look at this back and forth. 
because he is so details oriented. And he said, I feel as if I'm representing my country, mm -hmm. China. And so I want to do everything sure. perfectly. Well, I think the same thing happened in, uh, say, 30, 40 years ago. Japanese tourists went to uh, Paris, for example, or New York, or some other part of the all of the world. Then I, they felt. I mean, they mean the uh, uh, those those who living in the those countries feel that oh, Japanese, wow, so uh, their behavior not so good or that kind of things. You know? um, well, similar uh, things happening in Japan now, and also Japanese people are not familiar with the tourists from mm -hmm. other countries. That that uh, this is a. Well, basic. Uh, there is a such kind of base in this program, and also I feel that uh, tourism, tourism, or tourism is now well going to be a two different part. For example, in Kyoto, this part is just for foreigners, mm -hmm. well, or some uh, tourists from other part of the uh, Japan. Well, this is the usual Kyoto, but for some people who are very special, who knows, who know the uh, real authentic Japan or Kyoto. Then they try to go to the place or restaurants. Those people do not know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think uh, this is a, a, another way to enjoy the uh, mm -hmm. uh, new Japan or sure. new culture, Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. so. You know, the two most popular tourist destinations are the fish market in Skiji oh. and Kyoto. Yeah. And the fish market will be disappearing as a tourist location or as a, a highland, mm -hmm. a highlighted a tourist location. But Kyoto is always there. Can you imagine what it would be like if the number of tourists, the influx of tourists to Kyoto doubled within oh. the next couple of years? How, how, how that would impact what's going on in Kyoto? Well, Kyoto will not be Kyoto anymore. Right. I agree. <laughs> yeah, mm. I think it will mm. lose mm. a lot of its charm. By the way, Kyoto was number one in Travel and Leisure magazine for two years, um, and then it lost its place. It's still top ten, but it was due to this uh, overrun of uh, tourists in mm -hmm. Kyoto that made the difference. Charleston, South Carolina became the number one. Mm -hmm. So that was this past year, and I, I think they're... They really have a need to address this, and mm. there is this Kyoto that I keep hearing about, this special Kyoto that yes. no one knows about. The special part for me has been just mixing with the regular people there. I haven't even gone to the tourist mm -hmm. sites. Mm -hmm. And now the tourists, are, I mean, foreign tourists are going to the other part of Japan, like Takayama or Kanazawa. Oh, that's very, great. Yeah, yeah. The very beautiful art uh, history we have there. Also a very good uh, art architecture. Iseishima, Iseijingu. But politically, it is one of the few parts of Abenomics that is actually working. Mm -hmm. That is where the, where the, where they're not only hitting the targets, they're surpassing them. Right. It is in tourist numbers. And you know that the government wants to push this as far as it can go right. because it's working. And the problem is is that the the efforts and the 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 blowback are are, are starting to to run up against each mm -hmm. other. And that is probably the story that we really need to be focusing right. on. There are going. There is a limit to what can happen in Kyoto. There is a limit sure. to what happens in, in. I mean, Kamakura on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, you cannot move in that town, mm -hmm. and even if you're walking, it's hard. Right. Uh, there, there's got to be some kind of way to manipulate it. Now, admittedly, given the physical geography of Japan, 
uh, it's going to be very hard to widen streets or, sure. or make larger spaces. Uh, in fact, it's going to be impossible most of the time. And certainly Kyoto and Kamakura would be completely mm -hmm. different places mm -hmm. if there were some kind of renewal, whatever you right. want to call it. But nevertheless, there are carrying capacity issues that I think the government is ignoring. Right. Tourism yen is a popular way for governments to expand economic impact. There are too many foreigners in this room. Stay tuned to this issue. Japan is beginning to hit the wall on accepting the number of foreigners, even though the Abe administration wants to increase that significantly. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. The diplomatic schedule this month is totally packed. Three state visits from the head of state from Brazil, the Philippines and Jordan will be visiting Japan, and not only visiting with the prime minister, but also being received by the emperor. Michael, you're following this issue too? That's a lot of state visits. Well, it's certainly a, a, an important set of state visits. The Brazilian one is really important in that there's going to be some kind of assumption that there's going to be knowledge transfer regarding ho hosting an Olympics. Mm -hmm. In the case of, of King Abdullah, Japan, or at least Mr. Abe, is probably going to try to explain what the new situation is regarding Japan's ability to serve in peacekeeping forces under this new security legislation. King Abdullah's visit. It's the ninth since he's uh, taken over the It's throne. the ninth time that he's been around. It's, it, 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 he, he frequently comes here. He's, it's, it's not an unusual visit, but nevertheless, this is a new situation where Japan, to a certain extent, can expand its behavior as a peacekeeping force, which is something that the Mideast is always interested in. Right. And then we have a, a third head of state go to hell, by the way, Michael. Oh, well, President Duterte. And perhaps the doctor would like to tell us what the general view in, in, in the business world is of the Philippines and how, I mean, the, the reporting has in, in Japanese news has been, well, frequent about Things have changed. Right. Well, especially since we are Americans, we're a little bit more sensitive to it. But I think the Japanese, it, 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 there's a different dynamic that's going on here. Well, actually, uh, medias do not uh, following this kind of issues. Uh, probably many people do not know who will, coming, who will be coming in this month. And uh, only people know about uh, Putin from mm -hmm. Russia. Uh, they expect that... Uh, uh, we may see some solution of the uh, four islands in the northern territories, but it basically, uh, Japanese people are indifferent to state visits. State visit. <laughs> but in the case of Duterte, you—I mean, I'm watching NHK news in the morning, and every time he opens his mouth and says something nasty about the United States, oh. it's big news here. Sure, everybody loves to tweak the nose of the United States. So, and he's—he's he's taken that on as a full-time job. Well, he needs to be taken seriously because we're talking about the South China Sea mm -hmm. and the announcement of the end of, I don't want the U.S.-Japan yes, patrols no more, no here. More, um, He's sort alliance. of the Hugo Chavez, of course, of Southeast Asia. And I think he will be the most memorable state mm -hmm. visitor in that, of course, he's controversial about what he's saying. He also is close to 80% favorability in the Philippines in the context of a society where several thousand have been killed, drug mm -hmm. dealers and vigilantes, it's, it's been a bloodbath there. Right. So uh, 
I look forward to seeing how he interacts with mm. Prime Minister Abe in addition to the meeting with the emperor because he's his own guy and he's sort of got a Putin swagger to him. And a little bit of a Trumpism too. Sure he does. And this is, uh, it's brought a lot of attention to the Philippines. And I, I don't think we should discount this this country in comparison to, say, a Putin visit, mm -hmm. because he's he's going to be loud and proud, and That's he's right. got his population behind him. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the issue really is with the South China Seas mm -hmm. and how he is going to figure out an alliance that works for him. Apparently, right now, he's holding in the balance this ongoing alliance with the United States as opposed to working with China and Russia. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, for Japanese government, I think the most important important thing is the U.S.-Japanese relations and mm -hmm. the security uh, treaty. So, uh, well, whatever happens. <laughs> <laughs> but in the case of the visit here, the issue will be that Japan is providing Coast Guard, its own Coast Guard vessels, to the Philippines right. as a part of this concept that we're all taking part in this very quiet containment of China. But the Philippines is suddenly, well, thank you for the ships, but we're not on your team anymore. That's, that's going to be very difficult, I think, mm -hmm. for, for, the, uh, for the government. And not Mr. only Abe. that, but he's meeting with Xi Jinping in China before the visit to Japan. That's right. Taking so they were able to get him on the calendar. With them. A huge right. delegation. Huge. <laughs> it's just. So mm -hmm. it looks like the winds of change are beginning to blow and losing uh, the Philippines, especially when so much is happening in the South China Seas, could impact, you know, the Japan relationship as well. Well, for Japan, that we have a Senkaku Island problem, mm -hmm. right? So uh, in that sense, uh, we have to uh, strengthen the power in the uh, to the security of the area. So I don't know, but how to to what extent we have to be involved in in that issues. I mean, mm -hmm. in terms of the Philippine or some other North, uh, say the sea. How do you call that? North. The South China South Sea. South China Sea. Mm -hmm. So that is, our, of course, our interest, but it's a sort of a not a direct. But to avoid the uh, influence of the China in that area, so strong. So we have to, uh, well, it's a sort of a difficult point. Difficult, uh, it's, a sort of, it's difficult to how much we should do. Right. We have to make, uh, keep the uh, communication with the United States. What, what extent? Uh, they think Japan should be involved in mm -hmm. that issue. Right. With uh, Brazil, it looks like they're going to talk about, with the prime minister, um, some technology transfer, perhaps selling some of the nuclear technology that J the Japanese have developed. Yes, it's kind of ironic. Since we can't build nuclear power plants here, let's build them all around the world. It makes sense the, to me. It's the Abe has been the Abe administration uh, trip around the world. Wherever Mr. Abe's plane goes down, right. suddenly there's a, a contract for... Mitsubishi or for Hitachi for a, a, a nuclear power plant in this, that, or the other country. Well, we tried submarines. That didn't work. Well, the sub, no, but the, the, if you, there has been a significant effort by the Abe administration to sell nuclear technology. First of all, because Japan does have advanced nuclear technology, sure. but also because the nuclear industry right now here in Japan is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's There's no market for new power plants, even though we've reached the effective lifetime limits of many of Japan's nuclear facilities. They should be building new ones, but there's no community in the country that will accept them. So Mr. Abe gets on a plane and takes 
you know, the company representatives with him. Right. And in this case, that's one of the things that's going to be discussed with Brazil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Other big ticket items include railway systems, airplanes. Whatever it is that he can sell. He's, he's always called himself. He's a salesman. He, he said, I right. am Japan's number one salesman. Mm-hmm. And that was part of his initial push of Abenomics coming into office. And that part of his program is still continuing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone saw the interview. He did a sit down with Reuters several weeks ago when he was in New York for the UN meeting. And he started out by saying, I am Shinzo Abe, not Mario. And I am fighting, though, like Mario, for the Japanese economy. And then he mm. went on to say, I'm going to prioritize, make three points. It's the economy, the economy, the economy. And I used it in class with my students. And I said, so what, is, what does he think is most important? <laughs> Pretty obvious. Uh, as far as Japan's peace brand, which we've talked before about, uh, I think the planes and the rapid, the bullet trains, it's a big part of the selling point right. for Japan. When you get into wartime technology, nuclear technology, that sort of puts Japan on an uneven surface in mm-hmm. terms of how the people view themselves. I'm going to Hiroshima tomorrow for mm-hmm. a peace and marketing and business <laughs> conference looking at the Hiroshima brand as a global brand. And it is about abolition of war and the non-use right. of nuclear power. So. Which was kind of the theme of uh, Barack Obama's speech there. Sure. Right. And and by and also the students and many Japanese people believe that Obama apologized mm-hmm. and he did not in the right. speech, but they gave him that benefit of the doubt. So that tells you about how the Japanese citizenry views itself and there's a disconnect between the s- society in Japan and the government of Japan on this issue because mm-hmm. The people, by and large, are not in favor of bringing back the nuclear right. power. So it is, of course, going abroad. We mm-hmm. did the same thing with tobacco 20 years ago when the tobacco companies That's were right. seeing yeah. the decline in smoking. They just took it abroad and got people hooked on cigarettes mm-hmm. overseas. Well, one thing the uh, Japanese government tries to uh, sell weapons or nuclear technology to the other countries is that uh, to save the industries in in uh, in that in that uh, uh, well military industries, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, Japanese weapons are so exam- are f- so expensive because all of them are de- do- uh, domestic, mm-hmm. except the F fifteen was that kind of uh, U.S. airplanes. Mm-hmm. So it's very expensive because we are uh, produce it. In the country, mm-hmm. if you sell these things to the other countries, well, it becomes cheaper right. than than previous. So mm-hmm. that is only the way. Uh, I think uh, this is the one big uh, reason why Japanese people, uh, Japanese government, tried to sell them. Mm-hmm. So the nuclear technology too. Also, you cannot. Yeah, you cannot use it in Japan. Uh-huh. But uh, you can sell it. Sure. And that's a very time. rational actor, realist theory model of yeah. international relations. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Nagahisa, you're very close to what's going on in Japanese politics and, and the political happenings. At the diplomatic level, what kind of scorecard would you give the prime minister in his outreach to the rest of the world on, at the diplomatic level? I mean, we have three state visits just this month, but it seems to me that he is really starting to do a good job at the diplomatic level. Well, I think uh, uh, many people think that uh, he's very successful mm-hmm. so far. But after Putin, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, if he can have some resol- uh, a solution between Japan and Russia, 
his will be supported more. Sure. Yeah. Well, he's putting an awful lot of effort in it, and I think the the expectation is beginning to rise that he will come out with some sort of a peace peace treaty. Oh yes, but I don't know whether or not he can make it. It's a really tough negotiation. Mm-hmm. We,、uh, you know, we spend more than fifty years for that. Sure. Right. So,、uh, how, what is a rational solution of the territories?、Mm-hmm. Cut the uh, uh, two uh, the areas. I don't、right. know two islands. No, it's too small. That's right. So,、uh, what is the solution?、Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't imagine it.、Mm-hmm. So, while it it is a, a great, it could be a great opportunity for the、uh, Abish, Abe administration, but it could be a Bad opportunity for them, for him to,、uh, well, to get、uh, popularity in the in the in this country. Right.、Mm-hmm. Diplomatic machinations in Tokyo with the visit of three heads of state in the next twenty days. It's very active. We're going to continue to watch this and report it to you.